There's, there's a lot of things I really love about getting to be a part of, of this particular community of, of faith. I, I really, even in the short time that Sarah and, and even shorter time that William uh, and I have been here, uh, we have come to so love Pullman Foursquare and, and what this church does and the way in which we operate in this community. I have loved uh, seeing these don't give up signs and the various other encouraging signs. Did anybody else here really need that encouragement over these last couple weeks? I needed that. Uh, it, it, it's tricky sometimes when, I, I, you know, I, I knew I was preaching uh, today, and especially in Pentecostal circles, when we preach, we want to feel it. I don't know if anybody grew up in a Pentecostal fellowship. People talk about feeling it. You know, it comes up from your socks, and you just feel the Spirit of God flowing through you. And then there's other days where you're not necessarily, you know, feeling it. Not a whole lot's coming up from your socks, Spirit of God or otherwise. And, and it's been that sort of week for me. You know, it's some thing. I, I got some news that threw my family's future kind of into question, and we're not sure what's what's happening moving forward. And there were some discouraging things that I heard. There's a lot of question marks right now, which I don't like question marks. I like things to be more kind of certain and planned and predictable. So question marks aren't necessarily fun. But the beautiful thing about our God is that we can still relate with him regardless of whether or not we're feeling it. One of my favorite people across all of Scripture is, is Solomon. And specifically, it's, it's Solomon. Um, wait, no, am I, why am I blanking on this? Ecclesiastes, that was Solomon, right? Yeah, okay. That's, I don't know why I thought I was blanking on that. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, does anybody know kind of the refrain that Solomon goes through? He, he describes all these things, and he describes an adjective to them in Ecclesiastes. Vanity or meaningless. This is what Solomon says over and over and over throughout Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. In case you're not aware, when Solomon is writing the book of Ecclesiastes, he's deeply depressed. Seriously. As he's explored all of these different ways to try to find fulfillment in life, they keep coming up meaningless devoid of, of worth. They, they're not helping him find this meaning. But my favorite thing about Solomon and Ecclesiastes is you come to the very end of the book, and after all of this lamenting, after saying why all these things that he tried doesn't work, what he says is at the end of the day, and I'm paraphrasing, the conclusion I come to is this. My purpose is to serve God and do what he would have me do. If I could be so bold as, as to, you know, tack on a little bit to what Solomon was saying, regardless of whether or not he's feeling it in that moment. So if that's an encouragement to you, I, I hope that you just join me in that. It's, it's okay wherever you're at in your efforts to try to serve God if you're not necessarily feeling it. If these don't give up signs are an encouragement that you needed this week. It's where I'm at at the moment as I come to this. At the end of the day, I am very, very grateful to be here with you all. And I'm grateful for us to be able to keep going in our series on the spiritual gifts, mostly because I cannot get enough of this background. I just love it. It's, did, Pastor Jimmy, do you make these or find them? Okay. Uh, it's well done either way. You know, half the images I would use when I was a minister were just ripped off of Google. Please don't tell whoever owns those copyrights. Uh, it, I just, I love this series for a lot of reasons. One, because I think it's an extremely important topic for us to discuss because it can be confusing, but it's also one of the most, I think, interesting and dynamic and life-giving aspects of our relationship with God. The, these, these spiritual gifts that we can seek 
And at the same time, it's, it's one of the most confusing things about trying to follow Jesus. Because really what we're trying to do when we're trying to seek after the spiritual gifts is we are trying to access the explicitly miraculous, miracle-giving part of our God who is already so f- profoundly beyond anything we could hope to understand. And now we're getting into the really complex supernatural part. But that's why I love this series. Because we have the opportunity through the wisdom and discernment of the Holy Spirit of God to come to some understanding of these things. And today we're going to be talking about how it is that we seek after these gifts. How do we pursue spiritual gifts? And, and to start, I have something of a confession to make, and I know not everybody agrees with me with what I'm about to say, so you can take this as kind of my hot take for the day. I don't like personality tests. Is anybody else just not a giant fan of, okay, we've got a few. Who is? Like, yes, personality tests. Get me on BuzzFeed. I want to fill out more of them. I don't know what fictional character I'm not yet. So... There's several reasons why I'm not big on personality tests. One of them is, what would people say is probably the most well-known in a personality test? The Myers-Briggs, yeah. I mean, the Myers-Briggs is certainly a very well-known one, if not the most well-known. This thing is just too complicated and kind of intimidating. People will be talking about the Myers-Briggs test, and I'm just there at a table with them, and all of a sudden somebody makes really meaningful eye contact and is just like, are you an EGW4? And my face kind of goes blank, and I know that we have some idea that we're talking about a personality test, but I apparently missed that foreign language class in high school, so I have no idea what's being said, I have no idea what box I'm being put into, and I have no idea what any of these, I I know they're all letters, you know, I know there aren't numbers in there, but for what I know at this point, the latest version of the Myers-Briggs has a peach emoji in it, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it, it feels way too complicated. It feels like I have to learn another language just to figure out, you know, what box I've been put into in terms of I have these traits, therefore I am these letters. And that's the thing that, that I really have a hard time with when it comes to personality tests is they feel reductive. They take people, very complicated, very multifaceted people, and, and they boil them down to, to a set of, of letters, of, of colors, of, of ways of being loved. You know, the love, love languages, five love languages. It's not a bad book. It has kind of this personality test component to it where you figure out what is your love language. I'm not saying these things are devoid of value. I'm saying I'm just not a giant fan. Because they boil us down to letters, colors, particular ways of being loved, or, or maybe a, a superhero. You know, at the end of the day... I actually took a quiz on BuzzFeed. It felt appropriate. Uh, I took the, you know, what superhero are you quiz. And at the end of the day, let me tell you that I am more than just one of the world's most powerful telepaths who is sometimes and sometimes not in a wheelchair. Don't even get me started on what Marvel is doing with Professor X's ability to walk. They're playing Calvin Ball with this guy's legs. And it's really just not that nice. It's, oh boy, we'll talk. We'll talk, oh Whew, okay, we'll talk. Don't worry, it's okay. You can be redeemed. Um, anyway, I felt it was appropriate to take this quiz in, in light of how we're coming at this particular topic. You know, wondering, are the spiritual gifts these, these superpowers that only Christians have access to? And we've discussed some of the issues with this way of thinking in, in previous messages. But there's one way that I think we really struggle to break away from this kind of superpower concept 
of the spiritual gifts. And it's one that I personally am very excited to say because I am more than a little bit of a nerd. It relates to this idea of superheroes, which gave me an excuse to look up pictures of superheroes. Because most superheroes, with some exceptions, have one power that they're known for. We'll do something of, you know, a very simple kind of quiz here. And if you're of, like, my generation or younger, just chill for a sec. I want to see what the, the, the slightly more, I'll say, mature members of our congregation are aware of when it comes to the superhero community. This guy, the Flash, what is he known for? Speed. He runs fast. The Flash runs fast. Exactly. Magneto? Metal, exactly. He moves metal around. Yeah, the Hulk? He smashes. Yeah, the, the, as Hulk would put it, Hulk smash. You know, Hulk is known for smashing. Now, with some exceptions, this is how most superheroes work. They have one thing that they're really, really good at, one thing that they are exceptionally skilled at, or a superpower that they have. They're what we might call specialists. It is one thing that they do. And this is often, I think, how we think about the spiritual gifts. If we seek them at all, which we of course should, if you get nothing else from this entire series, get this, seek spiritual gifts. They're great blessings that our Lord has for you. If we seek them at all, we seek a gift, our gift, the thing in which we can specialize the particular, special, unique way that we are to serve God. And we conduct this very specific search to the exclusion of everything else. We even set up, and I I did a Google search on this, we set up personality tests to figure out which gift we should seek. This quick search of fine spiritual gifts returned 4.27 million results. And to give you an idea, you're looking at some of these titles. Some of them say this test is free. That's because some of these actually make you pay for them. They want you to put up some money if you want to find out what your spiritual gift is. And they will naturally tout themselves as, well, you know, yes, you have to put some money for it. But this is the really good quiz to figure out, you know, your spiritual gift. Now, I'm not trying to harsh anyone who who has taken one of these tests. I don't want you to interpret what I'm saying if you've taken one of these. is, is I'm trying to drag you down. Trying to figure out how to best serve God is a worthy endeavor. But we really shouldn't be treating the spiritual gifts like a personality test. Because this type of pursuit, it doesn't line up with the teachings of Scripture. And further, it doesn't line up with the character of God. And today, we are going to investigate what Scripture has to say about how we should seek spiritual gifts and how that search is connected to the broader pursuit of trying to live like Jesus as we go through this world. And to start, we are going to spend some more time in 1 Corinthians. I'm actually going to be in passages, chapters that we've talked about in previous messages. But what I love about 1 Corinthians especially is there is so much meat in what Paul is saying. There's these different ways in which we can come at these same sections of Scripture. Because specifically right now, we are going to take a look at 1 Corinthians 14. 
Uh, if you have a Bible with you, we have some available in a basket in the back there if you'd like to grab one. If you do grab one, please keep it. That's yours. Uh, if you're looking for 1 Corinthians, it's going to be pretty far to the right in your Bible. Just keep going. If you hit 2 Corinthians, you have just gone too far. Just turn back a little bit because it turns out there's just the two of them. Now, this immediately follows. 1 Corinthians 14 immediately follows Paul's pretty famous teaching on love. If you're not as familiar with it, you've likely heard some of it at at weddings before. You know, love is patient, love is kind. And, And what Paul's talking about in that section is he's talking about how the gifts should be used. The case Paul makes is that any of these spiritual gifts that we seek are worthless if they are not accompanied by love. They're they're of no use whatsoever if they're not accompanied by love. They need to be used in a godly manner if they're going to be of any use. It's not about having the gift. It's about exercising the gift in a godly, loving manner, which is always valuable for us to remember. We're not focusing on that today, but it's always useful for us to remember. In chapter 14, Paul comes back to this specific question of, of gifts and how we should hope to operate in them, how we should hope to access and use these gifts. I'm reading now from from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Is skipping down two verses to verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now I want to mention, especially if you're newer with us, we do not assume that you know what all these different gifts are. We don't assume that you know what speaking in tongues is. We don't assume that you know what prophesying is. It's okay if you don't have that background knowledge. Pastor Heidi did a phenomenal job last week of just kind of giving a primer on what those things are. So if you need some help with that background, hop over to PullmanFoursquare.org and take a listen to that message. I believe it's also available on SoundCloud, if I'm not mistaken. You can also find it on there. So get that background knowledge if you need it. We don't assume you have that going in. Hopping down a few verses now and picking up again in verse 13. Paul writes, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? How can they agree with your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words. In a tongue. Now again, there's a lot of meat on this passage, but what I want us to get out of this right now is how Paul approaches the idea of seeking spiritual gifts. His teaching does not support a, a personality test model for gift seeking. It just doesn't line up with that. Because for one, Paul decides to create something of a hierarchy 
with these gifts. He comes in and he says, in the context of the church, when people are gathered together to worship God, and you've got you know, believers and non-believers mixed in there, certain gifts are more useful than others because of what they do for that collected body. And Paul feels totally comfortable telling people what gift they should seek more earnestly than another. Now, if we only have access to one gift, if you receive one gift from God and that's it, you're done, that's all you have access to, where does Paul get off coming in and saying, in this context, you really need to be seeking this gift as, as more important than this one because what it does for the community. That doesn't line up with this way of thinking where we only have access to one particular special gift. And I think it might have something to do with the fact that we actually have access to more than one gift as God would give them in his timing. We'll get to that more later. Going further, Paul encourages people who have already received a gift. What Pastor Jamie identified, this group of gifts in 1 Corinthians, we call them the ecstatic gifts. There's sometimes some of the more dramatic ones, some of the more exciting ones. There are other gifts that we're going to talk about moving forward as we explore other sections of Scripture. But Paul is talking to these people who have already received one ecstatic gift, and he's telling them, seek more. In verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore, one who speaks in in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, earlier on in a passage that we've covered, tongues and the interpretation of tongues, those are listed as two different gifts. So what Paul is saying here is you've already received the blessing of being able to speak in tongues. You've received that unique and beautiful way of relating with God. Now, seek the Lord for even more so that you don't have just your own tiny private pocket of cool worship with God here, but you can interpret that tongue. And then that message is made known to the community. It's not just a blessing to you anymore. It's a blessing to all of those who have gathered. Paul is perfectly comfortable telling someone who has already received a gift to seek more. He does not seem to buy this mentality that we can each only access one spiritual gift. I just don't see Paul buying in to that way of thinking. And I don't know about you, but I find this exciting. I recognize not everybody may agree with me here, and I'm going to touch on that later. For my part, I find this exciting. Because as I mentioned, I don't like to be put in a box. This is one of, I hope, relatively few ways that I I line up with, with kind of this sometimes problematic stereotype of what millennials are supposedly like. I'm not big on labels. You know, I'm just not huge on that. Now, here I am saying I have problems with being called a millennial and that I have problems with labels. I recognize that it's weird. But anyway, as I mentioned, I don't like being put in a box. I think people, myself, and and I believe all of you, though I don't know a ton of you super well included, are a lot more complex than we realize, than even we give ourselves credit for. I think people are very, very complex. I think I am more complex than I tend to realize. I know for a fact that God is more complex than we tend to realize. And the idea of only having one way to to relate with, to, to serve, to glorify God, that sounds boring to me. If I am to follow Jesus for my entire life, 
through all the, the twists and turns and changes and complications and new scenarios that come along with that. Nine months ago, I was not following Jesus as a dad. Now I am. If regardless of how my life changed, I was just getting up and doing the same thing over and over and over again to follow God, that sounds kind of dry to me. I'm excited that we have different ways in which we can relate with our Lord. It also, this idea that we would only have one way to relate with God, it doesn't line up with the creativity and the ingenuity that I see God constantly expressing today and throughout the pages of Scripture. Our God is abundantly creative. Just from the pages of Scripture, we see God cook up so many different ways of reaching unreached peoples, of bringing sinners to repentance, of manifesting his almighty power that he might be glorified as he deserves. Our God never was, is not, and never will be a one-dimensional problem solver. He doesn't have just one way of coming at things. And we do ourselves a disservice when we approach spiritual gifts, which, let's be clear, come from and represent the character of our abundantly creative God. These gifts are just aspects of God that he entrusts us with for however long he sees fit. We do ourselves a disservice when we approach spiritual gifts as these one-dimensional offerings, as something we can only relate with in one way. Now, I'm a historian by trade and by just stuff that I enjoy. I have all these great big books about history weighing down my shelves. They'll probably collapse at some point. So, you know, if you don't see me for a while, check under a big pile of books in my office. As a historian, I tend to wonder kind of how things came to be the way that they are. And I don't know about you, but you may be asking the same question that I am when I think about this, which is, how did we get to this point? If this personality test method of, of seeking spiritual gifts, if it doesn't line up with the teaching of Scripture or the abundantly creative character of God, how did it become so widespread? Why are there 4.27 million results on a Google search for how to find spiritual gifts? I think the answer to this question actually lies in a passage, another passage that we've already looked at in this series. And it lies in a common mistake that is made by, I think, very well-meaning and well-intentioned people who are trying to follow Jesus. The mistake of getting cultural values mixed up with godly values. Let me show you what I mean. Looking back a couple chapters, we're going to look back at 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 4. You've been with us for a bit. This will seem familiar, but again, there's just so much meat on these passages. Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, lots of varieties. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. 
all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's as the Spirit wills. And to make sure we're on the same page, that's the Holy Spirit of God that Paul is talking about here. I think that some in the, in the American church took a look at this passage and they did something that I don't think this passage supports. They made this, this gift giving by God, they made it static and they made it permanent. These individuals who were looking at this, they saw this language, to one is given. And they saw it go back and forth. To one is given this, to another this, to another this, and decided that that giving could only occur one time. To one is given blank. And that's what you've got. That's the gift that you have by which you can relate with God. And that remains the one gift that that person can access for the whole of their life following Jesus. And in that moment, when a specific gift got permanently latched on to a specific person, these American Christ followers, they let their cultural values bleed in to biblical values. Because in our culture, the individual reigns supreme. We celebrate that one person has one vote, which I think is a great thing. We celebrate individual liberties that when used responsibly, I think are great. When someone thinks about another person maybe infringing on those liberties, they use language like, you are violating my right to blank. It's this language of individual ownership, of individual rights, of individual sovereignty. Individual liberties are the most sacred tenet of our society, and that thinking bleeds into our relationship with God. We think that the only way to follow Jesus is by making a personal, individual decision to do so. And most of the time in our culture, that's true. But it is not the only way that people have come to follow Jesus across history and amongst the various cultures of this world you started talking to different Christ followers around the world, you would hear stories that sometimes sound very different than I was sitting in church and I was told to pray this prayer and then now I follow Jesus. It's our cultural way of understanding how it is that we start a relationship with God. Similarly, we spend a lot of energy fretting over our personal relationship with God, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But we spend far less energy on our concern for how we communally worship our Lord. We spend a lot more time thinking about how we're doing with God as individuals than how we are doing with God as a community. And we agonize over our personal spiritual gift, trying to discern, I think incorrectly and to our harm, what one gift God has for us. In this and a lot of other things, we have let our cultural values confuse and muddy our relationship with God. God is not bound to follow the tenets of American culture, and, and our culture is not somehow inherently better at worshiping God than any other. 
every single culture in this world, American or otherwise, will find some things about following Jesus that come to that culture much more easily and some things about following Jesus that are extremely difficult for that culture to understand. When it comes to spiritual gifts, Americans have a hard time understanding how these gifts are meant to operate and how we are meant to seek them because our culture does not equip us well to understand the communal nature of these gifts. Let me show you what I mean. This is me just pulling some quotes from Paul from across 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Paul writes, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. Another quote, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Again, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. For you may be giving thanks well enough, this is another quote, but the other person is not being built up. As Paul teaches people how to interact with, with the spiritual gifts that he's talking about in this book, he emphasizes again and again and again and again that these gifts are meant to build up the church. Yes, they also benefit the individual. That's a wonderful thing. As we interact with the spiritual gifts, we benefit as individuals. But Paul here is saying that the most important purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up a community to build up those around the person operating in a particular gift at a particular moment. All that to say, the gifts are not really for us as individuals. Spiritual gifts are not really for us as individuals. We are meant to use them for the good of those around us, not just so that we can feel more secure about our individual relationship with God. And if I can be so bold as to guess why it is that we spend so much time agonizing over what is my spiritual gift, why some very well-meaning people would be even willing to shell out money to a website, they have no idea whether it's legitimate or not, for that website to tell them what is their spiritual gift, I think it comes down to wanting to feel more secure about our relationship with God. It was the wrestling I experienced when, when I was relatively young in my faith. I started really following Jesus my freshman year of college. Left home from Alaska, went to Bellingham uh, to attend Western Washington University, and I got involved with a Pentecostal fellowship there. And over the course of, of worshiping with that fellowship, I became aware of, of spiritual gifts, and I became aware that this was something that I had access to, a beautiful way in which I could relate with God. And I began kind of agonizing over, you know, wanting to figure out what my gift was supposed to be. I remember staying up late at night, freaking out about how I hadn't discovered my gift yet, and at the time, I was dead set on becoming a pastor. I was a pastor on a college campus for five years. At the time, I was going to do that forever. And I didn't feel like I could reasonably go into that career if I wasn't absolutely sure of what gift it was that God was supposed to have for me. I remember agonizing times in prayer. I remember crying with friends. I, I, I remember sitting alone and just wondering what I was doing wrong. This went on for three years. Three years this went on, agonizingly searching after this until eventually 
things started to become a little bit more clear, and I started to realize these gifts aren't really for me. This isn't about me feeling more confident in my relationship with God. It's about God being able to use me, gift me with what he deems appropriate, so that I can be a blessing to a community. So what do we do with all this? There's some good action steps that I think we can get from what we're talking about today, this wisdom from Scripture, this teaching that calls us to think of the gifts as they were intended, as a blessing not just for an individual, but for a whole community. First, we should let go of the idea of of our gift. More specifically, we should let go of the phrase, my gift is blank. This language is too definitive. It's too restrictive. It implies that we buy into this myth that God only has one gift for us, one thing for us to do. And now that we've found it, we don't need to seek after any more gifts. I want to throw some alternative phrasing out there, and this isn't perfect, but it's a different way of thinking about it. What if instead of this phrase, my gift is, we tried something more like, God is currently blessing me with the gift of blank. This is a few things that I think work a bit better based on what we've learned today from Scripture. First, it recognizes that God can give gifts as he chooses for the purposes he chooses at the time that he chooses. Rather than fretting over this one static thing that has to somehow last me my entire life of relating with God, what if God is new and dynamic and fresh and specific to a situation ways of dealing with me and with the people in my life and, with me, and for making me a blessing to whatever community I happen to be a part of? What if we put it a bit more in his hands and took it a bit out of our control? This language suggests a better understanding of how we should interact with spiritual gifts. We're not seeking them as some sort of holy merit badge. I got the spiritual gift badge. Now I can move on to the next one. We're seeking more of God. These gifts are just manifestations of God. They are just God making himself known and present and tangible and real. We're seeking more of God, and we are remaining eagerly open to any gifts that would come along with that seeking. We're not sitting down before the Lord or entering into prayer or joining into communal worship and saying, okay, God, I want to hear from you. I want to receive from you. And here is the very explicit list of things that I am open to receiving in this moment. Feel free to do as you will, all-powerful, almighty, transcendent God within this bounded list that I have created. I even put it in a text edit file so you know you don't have to worry about what kind of word processor you have. You can just go ahead and open that right up. What if instead we remained eagerly open to whatever gifts would come along from seeking after our Lord. Which leads to a second action step. We should choose to risk. We should choose to risk a bit. I mentioned earlier that I found the idea of all these different ways of relating with God exciting, and I mentioned that I am pretty sure not everybody necessarily agrees with me in that. I think some of us really like the idea 
of having one spiritual gift. It feels comfortable. It feels safe. It feels like something we can master. That I get. I like mastering things, becoming really, really good at specific skills. I think that's fun. It feels like something we can master. It feels like a a metric, a measurement by which we can determine our faithfulness to God. If we know the one thing that we're supposed to be doing, and we're doing that thing, then we're in good shape. It's, It's an easy yardstick to figure out whether or not we're faithfully serving the Lord. We're faithful with the one gift he gave us. We're operating in that. We're exercising it so we can rest easy. We know we're doing what we need to be doing. The trouble is, this, again, goes against the wisdom of Scripture. In this case, it goes against the teaching of Jesus. Because in Scripture, we're not told that the one who is faithful with very little will be told to call it good. Jesus said instead, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. The way that our Lord looks at things is the fact that you were faithful with this one thing that you were given puts a yearning in God's heart to want to trust you with more and more and more. He's seen you be faithful with some small piece of him. Now he wants to see you be faithful with more and more and more so you can rejoice in that much fuller an understanding of your Lord and that much deeper of a relationship with the God of the universe. That's how scripture understands faithfulness. That those who are faithful with little have the opportunity to be faithful with much. Not that they should be content with what little they have of a relationship with God. Now I want to say, If you are faithfully operating in something that that for a long time you have thought of as as your gift, praise God. Thank you for faithfully serving our Lord. Thank you for blessing whatever community you have been a part of throughout your life by faithfully exercising that gift. Now, I want to encourage you to be bold. Be so bold as, as to seek God for more. First and foremost, more of him. And if gifts would come along with that, I hope you would be so bold as to embrace them. Again, remember, we are seeking God, not just a gift. Seek God and remain open to the gifts that he might give you. With that in mind, I I want us to take the the time that we have in in the rest of the service here, and something we've been doing lately that I absolutely love is we've been actually doing things. It's not just me standing up here talking. We've taken time to to pray as a fellowship, and I want us to do that again. And today, I want us to spend time praying that we would be a bit more bold. For a few weeks now, we've been breaking up into groups and praying. We're going to do that again today. I encourage you to, to get together with a few people around you, newer people, be on the lookout for people who look like they know what they're doing, people who know what they're doing, you know who you are at this point, be on the lookout for those newer people so that they can feel included. This is uh, what my friends in higher ed would call a challenge by choice situation, so I encourage you to participate as much as you're able. Uh, And what I want us to do is in groups, I want us to share a, a way of serving God that makes you nervous. 
Something that you get the sense, you know, God might want you to do, an opportunity that you've had that makes you a bit nervous. And maybe you share a little bit about, I think I would need some more of this kind of gifting if I was going to serve God in that way. Then I want you to take some time to to pray for each other. If you need some structure, just pray for whoever's on your left-hand side, if that's simple. I like things on the left. I'm left-handed, so there you go. As we pray for each other, I want to ask that, that you would pray and that you would be open to receiving gifts from God that would be needed in those moments where you're a little bit more nervous. Those ways in which you want to serve him that make you a bit nervous, pray that you would receive what you need from God in order to be able to do that. This is us taking the opportunity to maybe be a little bit more bold today. So I want to go ahead and invite you to get into groups. We'll take some time praying in that regard, and then I will call us back in just a